And oftentimes, uh, self-denial is ambiguously understood and sometimes confusing. So we, that's why we're tackling this. Uh, acknowledging that sound theology is utterly important for us to be God-centered and for us to understand Scripture without fuzzy thinking. And then, as I mentioned last week, it, this all started in my heart when I was reading a Facebook post. Uh, one of those uh, acquaintances that I know, know personally, but because he's a church leader, and uh, when you're a pastor, and you end up having a lot of different friends that you don't know personally. And that post created so much of a thread. 59, I counted. Um, and one of those main ideas is, I just don't like listening to the same message and over, over, and over, which is, men are sinful, you are, you are sinners, and you cannot do anything apart from God. And what about what God said in the creation, that he saw everything good, and especially human beings. And when Adam and Eve were created, God said, very good, no need time. So when we call some people, some things, uh, labeling sinners, they act like sinners, and there's paralysis, paralysis there. And then there's all kinds of, uh, you should try our church. This is a Lutheran church. We talk about grace all the time and love, all the positive things all the time. Some people are trying to argue from the scripture, where did you get the idea and then those people are, you could feel the culture quickly turned down by others using scripture. So which is like Holy Spirit's prompting is this is our generation, including some of the church leaders. Is it just poor theology, unsound, bad theology going on? And my task this morning is to give you, theology doesn't mean that it's some kind of a system apart from scripture. This, if we deeply into understanding and devoted into scripture guidance, what happens is it doesn't take, it, it takes much more than a one single verse. One, one, of, one of the scholars will say, never read a Bible verse. He, by, by that he means, Read it in context. At least read a paragraph. Even if you're a paragraph, if you understand other passages, things are helpful for you to understand. Those are theological concepts. So theology is important. Sound theology is important. As an anchor and church, church culture and the mainstream culture changes, but we are anchored in that sound theology. And the fuzzy thinkings are dealt with and so we will be able to think clearly, uh, not only intellectually, rationally, but spirit-guided way. So here's a little bit of a recap from last week. When Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up the cross daily and follow me. Why is it important? Because self-denial is utterly important because it is a mark of a true follower. Implication is a true saving faith of, 
in Jesus Christ and true follower of our Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, self-denial involves two most important theological understanding, knowledge of God and knowledge of self. Let's go to that John Calvin's quote one more time. Without knowledge of self, he writes, there is no knowledge of God. Our wisdom, insofar as it ought to be deemed true and solid wisdom, consists almost entirely of two parts, the knowledge of God and of ourselves. But as these are connected by many ties, it is not easy to determine which of the two precedes and gives birth to the other. When we say, uh, as a human being, made in the image of God, we have personal needs. Those are legitimate needs. Our teenage boys start asking those questions. What am I? Who am I? Where am I going? How can I make my life count in this world? What's the significance of who I am? What's my self-worth? Those are all legitimate needs. But the problem of godless world is that we think of ourselves and think of our needs and think of our identity apart from God. So even in human relationship, when you think about your children, in your relationship with your baby, and I still remember my firstborn, I couldn't sleep. That particular hospital was cruel to young dads because they would not allow dads stay in the hospital. So I, I'm 3 o'clock in the morning, I'm emailing people, like exclamation by five, six, seven things, like Henry. What, what, what was going on? Because my identity in my relationship with my son is revealed even more. When you stand in front of the pastor, a pastor, and saying, I do, in light of your husband, in light of your bride-to-be, you know who you are. So even at work, in some sense, because of your role playing, there's a sense of identity comes from that. But what is wrong with all those relational identity or occupational identity without relationship in the context of knowledge of God? Because those are temporal things. So you heard that expression from time to time. Find your identity, true identity in Christ. That means in light of your relationship with God, God the Trinity, that you will begin to really know about who you really are. It is impossible to know apart from that. So thinking about this, helping the simple theological process of thinking, apply that, let's apply that to the uh, Facebook post again. The problem of, I don't like when pastors start preaching over and over redundant passage 
and redundant wording of you are a sinner and you cannot do anything apart from God. In light of our human world, and when I look at my own self, and even comparison with others, that makes totally sense. So that's why the pop psychology and positive thinking messages and very uplifting inspiration messages are popular. Those churches are mega churches. But unless we know about God, when we look into the scripture and the knowledge of God that cannot be known unless God reveals to us, as I said last week, the central word is holy. Not just sinless, but transcendent. God is not like me. In holiness of God, our sins are revealed. That we know that we are sinners. And then another part is really true, that I'm going to get to that uh, through this message, is that God loves us. God think of us as a very valuable and worth, worthwhile. Otherwise, he would not give his only begotten son to die on the cross for us. Lastly, self-denial is renunciation of not one's personhood, and John Stott's words were helpful for us, the creative self. When God created Adam and Eve before the fall, that self, we should affirm. So self-denial is not renunciation of that, but self-denial means that we deny our self, self-centeredness, which is key characteristic of the fallen self. So with that in mind, the question that I'm asking this morning is how does self-centered come into the human nature? The simple answer is the original sin. And some of you heard it, and some of you thought that it was just too complicated, or some of you misunderstood and simple, oversimplified superficial way. But understanding this big picture will help us not only about ourselves, but our journey, what God is doing and what the human history really looks like in reality of God's sovereign plan. So let's tackle misunderstanding first. Original sin is often misunderstood as the first act of sin by Adam. Okay, the reason why I don't say Adam and Eve, God views Adam as a representative. It's called Heship. God holds the husband accountable, and this is a fearful thing. When something goes wrong in your household, God doesn't call your wife. Not because, she, not because she's not as, as important as you as a husband, but because God has ordained that responsibility called Heship. Not spirity at all. Equality in, many, in all senses but the role of leadership and responsibility falls on Adam. So I'm going to continually mention 
the way the Bible mentions. First act of Adam. And then because of that, we have a problem. Well, Adam was given the chance to live in the Garden of Eden, perfect paradise. And I was born outside of the Garden of Eden. Give me the chance. I could make the difference. So that's our, another thing is like, why do I get blamed for someone else's sin? Kind of thing, right? So that's common misunderstanding. What does it really mean? The original sin rather refers to the condition of humanity humanity as a result of Adam's sin. The result, condition is twofold. One is inherited guilt. That we are all guilty of sin. Every human being falls short of the glory of God. That we are actually declared guilty. That's why every single one of us physically die. The Bible defines death as a separation. The physical death that we are going to die, without exception, is our spirit's separation from our physical body. But spiritual death is that we are separated from God. And Adam and Eve, our condition outside the Garden of Eden after the fall, then we are born under the household of Adam. We're already separated from God. And the final death, and the Bible calls it also second death, is that when we go to heaven without a Savior, without the redemption, without propitiation of our sin, that we are going to be eternally separated from God, which is called eternal death or second death. The second aspect of original sin is inherited corruption. The corruption of a human nature. What God created was good. But that human nature, we will not perfectly know what that looks like. We just know a lot of things are messed up. You know, when when I think about a lot of things, I, I really feel frustrated with myself. I really am, right? The things that you guys want me to kind of desire to change, it's a result of that inherited corruption. Um, That human beings are innately sinful. And then I'm using the word self-centered. The key characteristics of sinfulness is that we see the world we judge all the things not from God's point of view because we pushed God out in that center. We naturally assume that center and that itself is the beginning of the sin. And this, this means what God originally created in humanity was good. The creative self but because of the original sin, the humanity is affected by total depravity. It's another misconception about total depravity is 
I'm not totally messed up. I could be far from totally messed up. So that's why some of the theologians may be pervasive depravity. Or another theologian would call it total inability to do good, to follow God's will. So in that means that means that the people who are obsessed about uh, resisting what God says about your sinner is like total depravity. That cannot be true. And then going back to that Facebook post, this was one of the comments. I don't think you can have, have it both ways. To be created in the image of God while being totally depraved? Question mark. And then there's a four or five likes on that. So obviously affirming. So let's not start. Let, let's stop calling people sinners. If you look at that. Both are true. God loves us and God thinks of us good. But God's wrath is on us because of our sinfulness as well. His love triumphs, mercy triumphs of ju- judgment. Otherwise, God will just leave us in our natural path to the eternal damnation. He intervened because we were helpless. Remember that what we are trying to do is, what is it that we are denying? And how did it come about? And we sometimes think that man, our typical uh, educational sim- system says that, right? Every, every child is neutral. We just need to give them good environment and a lot of education then utopia is possible. Uh, History tells us otherwise. G.K. Chesterton, in his book entitled Orthodox, and I would highly recommend, G.K. Chesterton is someone is not only smart, he's an intellectual Writing is sprinkled with humor and wit. And then he's the one who actually said, what's wrong with this world, an editorial comment that he wrote, Dear Sir, sincerely, I mean, I am sincerely G.K. Chesterton. Meaning that every single one of us want to blame others, but I am. Chesterton was challenged with a lot of, uh, in his days, even back in the days, uh, he was a time before C.S. Lewis. Um, people were disagreeing about existence of original sin. And then, even nowadays, there is a di- different interpretation of not inherited corruption, not inherited a guilt. And there are people like that. And G.K. Chesterton writes, certain new theologians dispute original sin, which is the only part of Christian theology 
which can be really be proved empirically if you look at the history of mankind what he's saying is that original sin is the reason why just left alone human society is continually downgrade being corrupted and United States of, of America is not anything different. The best education did not make our society better. And the people will argue that, well, you just need to give them good environment and good education. Then society will be better. But because society is corrupted and bad, it is affecting humankind, you know, our people, our cities. You know, it's actually the other way around because where did the corruption of society begin to happen? Because individual depravity and original sin. So this is the main passage and I want to tackle this really well. The question that we're asking is, okay, original sin was the, how did it really affect us, even for us? Number one, Adam's disobedience, which was eating the fruit of the tree, meant much more than a just mere sin, a mistake or mishap. mishap. It was a treason of autonomy. So autonomy sounds like a cool word for our generation, and then when you think about, wow, I don't, I don't understand. Why is it treason? Because when you wipe out everything that you know, I mean, your existence or your context, and when you think about God created the original plan of God's world and Garden of Eden is God ruled Adam. That's another way of saying God-centered Adam. But when king governed life, revolted and rebellion happens and takes the king out of the throne and we come in that throne, it, that is called treason. Let's look at the word autonomy. Latin word is combination of two. Auto means self. Nomus. Nomus means law. So it's, it means a self-governing or self-ruled. That's what the Thomas look like. Remember that. In man-centered, secular man-centered world, this is the norm. But what God created through our faith eye, faith's eyes, if we really believe, the scripture is true, and God created Adam and Eve, and including us, that God created universe, heavens and earth. Godless life, God absent life, is the main problem of our human heart, human nature. Let's look at that. How do I get that? Verse 1 through 5, Genesis 3, 
Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field. And obviously it's, it wasn't just the animal, but it's Satan using the snake. But both of them were creatures of God, the creator. And then God governed rule, life. They're supposed to listen to the creator, not the creatures. That happened here. The serpent said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Oh, there's so many wisdom here too, insights about temptation. She's actually, the serpent is actually quoting what God says and challenging it. And then woman falls for it in verse 2. And the woman said to the servant, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, true. But God said, you shall not eat the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, true. Neither shall you touch it, false. God didn't say that. Lest you die, true. It's a little bit of distortion. It was the beginning of fall, the fall. Verse 4, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows, here's how the devil, deceiver, and the evil one lured the humankind. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open. And you will be like God. You are going to be like God. Don't you want to be God? Don't you want, an, don't you want autonomous life? That you be your own governor of your life, king of your life, captain of your soul, knowing good and evil. Stay with me here. So what happened? First thing that happened to Adam and Eve after the fall was self-consciousness and division that brought shame and fear. Verse 6. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food and it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Parenthetical remark. Male chauvinism, apart from the scripture, blames woman for this. Actually, the headship is taking responsibility. Even if that happened in your family home, your household, men are responsible. So don't you ever go, go think about that woman. <laughs> Throughout the history... That happened all the time. We must not do that. We must not be tempted to do that. Verse 7. Then the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked. Wait a minute. How long, how long they lived like this before? I mean, they lived more than 900 years. So we don't know how many, year, how many years they lived up until this point. 
They were naked. It's not like a news to them. It's a, it's, they're naked. So what, what do you think it means that when they suddenly realize image of God is a person who has intellect, emotion, and will. God has that. That is a reflection of that. No, no other creatures, animals, have that moral responsibility and volition to choose. So it's not about self-awareness. We ought to have a self-awareness. But what came in is the self-consciousness in a way that humankind begin to see themselves in light of things, in light of apart from God, and their self-consciousness, and because of sin, separation, another word, division, brought shame and fear. Why do I see shame and fear? Because the first thing that they felt, that they're naked, let's cover up. Let's go to the next slide. Oh, by the way, Diedrich Bonhoeffer, yes, the same author who wrote The Cost of Discipleship, uh, his, his work in theological exegesis on Genesis chapter 1 through 3 is called The Creation and Fall, writes this. Where the one accepts the other as the companion given to him by God, where he is content with understanding himself as beginning from and ending in the other and belonging to him. Man is not ashamed. In other words, they were naked, but they were not ashamed with each other, that they're naked. In the unity of unbroken obedience, man is naked in the presence of man, human, in other words, uncovered, revealing both body and soul, and yet he is not ashamed. Shame only comes into existence in the world of division, separation caused by the sin. So they did three things in light of that. The first three things that fallen Adam and Eve did were, number one, cover themselves. I think we should read this text first. 7b, verse 7b, starts like this. And they saw fig trees together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you, been, have you eaten the tree of which I commanded not to eat? The man said, Woman, whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit 
of the tree and I ate. I didn't have a choice. My, my remark there. Verse 13. Then the Lord said to the woman, what is, it that, what is this that you have done? The woman said, Serpent! Serpent! Deceived me. And I ate. I'm not responsible. So three things. It's because of shame, they cover themselves. Number two, because of fear, they hide themselves. They hid themselves. And number three, in order to evade responsibility, they blame shift others. This is what we actually do. If you look at the fallen self, what we are doing is actually, instead of being transparent, instead of showing who we are, we cover. And we all have that. that that's the fallen self. And As a pastor, I want to be perceived as godly, gentle, very meek. I don't want you to see I'm yelling at my kids, uh, all worked up inside, and my face is red. I feel embarrassed. So I might not do... So like a Pharisee is hypocritically like this, walking like this. But I actually want to be perceived. Cover up somewhere. And we have uh, some broken issues and you know, addictions and, and hang-ups we want to cover up. And that's why a man and woman, heart sharing is difficult because instead of sharing, instead of being open and transparent, our journalistic sharing, facts, what happened, we could distance ourselves so that we could hide. So let's be mindful. The creative self is being aware of that. That self-consciousness is basically putting us into the self-absorbed, right? The second thing is we hide ourselves. We hide in business of our career and alcoholism, we hide behind our hobbies, we hide be behind uh, some romantic relationships or obsession about marriage, about good things. We hide behind our children. We hide behind status and accomplishment. We hide by the fact that we are doing all these spiritual things and serving church, serving at church, trying so hard. We need to realize the false self, as long as the self-centered self is doing the work, it is just obscurely distorted. We are to deny that. We are to never expect that I should not 
You know, in our marriage, I always thought that I was noble. So why are you getting so mad? So that's kind of, in a way, that my rationalization blame shift happened also, too. But Kate used to say, I'm not mad at you. Oh, you certainly look mad, <laughs> you know? And after probing, 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 she finally admits this way. I, first time when I, when I heard that, huh? Now I understand. She goes, I'm mad at, I'm mad at myself because I'm mad at you. You don't understand, do you? Most men have a clueless. What she's saying is interpretation goes like this. I should be a much nobler person, big heart person. I shouldn't be get angry by your petty things. I should overlook that. But I cannot. So I'm mad at you. I should not be mad at you, so I'm mad at myself. So we blame, blame others. We blame God. We blame our children. We blame our husband. We blame our wives. We blame our parents. Genetics. Why am I so short? I should be taller. I blame my mom who had a major OCD. And whenever I see the crooked chairs and lines, <laughs> oh, I cannot help myself. So I released it. I, I'm, I'm asking you to hold me accountable. And Linda and the welcome team, they took over. So I'm glad. Chairs look fine. And, <laughs> but when you're not here, I feel... <laughs> Let's reap the harvest. These are some of my own kind of uh, list. Certainly no comprehensive list at all. But this is a ramification of the problem of self, what we are living with now. Broken relationship with God, with others, as a ramification of the sin. When I say the sin is the original sin coming in, not the little petty things that we make a mistake and sin. The power of sin coming in. Number one is, a, more than anything, it's a pride. Self-deification. Self-deification meaning starting with idol worship. We, have a, we are created uh, for worship, right? By God, and by his pleasure, and by, in order to be glorified and worshipped by God. I mean, by us. God created us. So when we pu- even if we pushed out, there is a sense of vacuum. And Pascal's right. Every heart, human being's heart, there's a God-shaped vacuum which cannot be filled by anything else. St. Augustine said, until I find you, there will be a continually lacking and longing. But my, I can't, cannot remember a direct quote on that. But you get the meaning. So idol worship happens. And back in the days, they have a literal Baal worship and different kind of statues and Greek mythology and all that happened. And now intellectual, uh, sophisticated modern people and postmodern people, 
I don't have any statues. I don't believe all that. I'm an intellectual who thinks clearly. Well, actually, when you think about even idol worship, typical idol worship, there is a Baal worship. What, is, what do you think the locus of control is? It's not Baal-centered. It's a self-centered. I'm going to pay dues, so you better come through, make my harvest full, and no one sick gets sick in my house, and that my business will prosper. Make that happen. Obviously, they will not anger the gods, little gods and idols. But even if we don't have that, ultimately, we are serving ourselves naturally, the fallen self. The self-worship is actually ultimate self-deification of Adam's sin. I will be like, like God. I will decide what's good and what's right. And that we all grew up in that secular humanism. Humanitarianism is a good thing. Humanism, especially secular humanism's view, is very simple. In the universe, there is center, which is man. Man decides. How, do you man, how, does, how does a man decide? Five senses. You see and hear and feel and touch and taste. And because of that, empirically, you decide what's right and wrong and what's true and I know many of you believe God's word. The scripture is God's word. And you are here because of that. I, I know that. I'm grateful for that. But you know, we could do our Christian life that way also too. That we are in the center of the universe. And something that is happening in my life, I just don't like it. God, okay, I'll pray harder. Like, for example, God is giving me an object lesson. So you want to talk about the self? So I'll give you a little bit that sense of humor, God. All right? You know that double door? We've been waiting for four weeks. And then yesterday I got another final promise. They will be here at 1 o'clock. And I, I was hearing for waiting for one hour. I got so upset. I called and texted. I, I didn't yell at the guy. And the plumbing, the, the nice sink is not working because the draining is not happening. Something wrong with that. And then I'm saying, you guys are supposed to be professional. The young guy obviously couldn't figure it out. You should figure it out yesterday. They said, oh, we'll be back. It's been three, four weeks. What am I saying? This must, this must not happen. My brother, who is a pastor, he can't even speak one sentence fully now. Still, the speech impediment and the right hand is still there. This must not be happening. It's not fair. Okay, we believe God. God, I blame you. You're not doing your job. Get your act together. That's what we're doing. Easy to do when we do not, do not deny ourselves. 
Number two, comparing spirit that led us to or leads to inferiority complex or spirity complex. See, because our relationship with God is ultimate source of our, all our needs, self-worth, self-identity, significance, and all that, when that is broken, obviously it's a comparing. There is always someone who's smarter. There is always someone better looking. There is always someone who is temperately warm, kinder. In light of that, sisters and brothers, listen to me. We should not give in to the worldly standard of parenting. What do we do? Uh, we need to hold ourselves and become aware of what we are doing. Oh, you look so cute. I cannot help but loving you. I love you so much. You know why? Because you look so cute. And that kid grows up and doesn't get that enough. And she will date this guy and that guy looking for love that does not feel her broken cistern. And to our, not only boys, but to girls also too, you're so smart, you got straight A. Way to go, I love you, daddy's proud of you. How should we say? If God loves, you, loves us that way, every morning I will be self-condemned and devil will be right. I didn't do anything, something's right in leading and I, I, get, I get upset about myself not being a good example in some, some ways in, to you. I am broken. I don't, I don't have much self-control in some things that I should not eat or how Ill, Ill, late I should eat. And one time, Soren was watching me. He was doing homework at 11, 11, 15 at night, and I was getting something and eat. And then Soren... It's obliviously, he's not being so judgmental. Why do you have to eat? Why? <laughs> I felt utterly humiliated when he said that. Yeah, it is emotional eating. I got bored, I got some, something. So when he said that, <laughs> it's broken. Okay, some of you have done well and you feel superior. That's nothing different than inferiority complex. It's a flip-flopping way. And someday in your future, when you compare somebody who's better than you, you will feel inferior. The kids who used to make straight A's and 4.0 GPAs when they go to Ivy League school or Harvard or Yale or Stanford, and they're nothing. I have counseled to one of those brothers who felt lost of self-identity and self-worth. He couldn't think of it as, I'm barely making it. I used to be at the top of the class. I'm barely passing. And one day, I decided not to try, and I got kicked out because of low GPA. What do I do? Do you see the need? Even those of you who are doing really well in your walk, in your family, your house is blossoming and prosperous. 
Deny yourself in, in the light of this. Fruits of self-centeredness and self-rule produces all kinds of sin and blame shift and rationalization, which are all incompatible with Christ. Jesus says, let him deny himself. This is the self. Sin as the indwelling power that enslaves us, all kinds of addiction. My, in some sense, you know, many people are addicted to very illegitimate, illegal drugs, and very heavy drinking alcohol. In a way that my enslavement with the sin is a good thing also too, and bad thing also. It's addiction, slavery. Temper is also, or jealousy, all those things. And lastly, self-protection and self-absorption that leads to relational breakdown. I have a couple more things. Bear with me. I want to introduce now, okay, we're convinced. How do I self-deny? Deny myself. There is a twofold thing that Scripture talks about and good sound theology will give us. The first step is not actually trying to deny ourselves. It becomes self-centered denying, oxymoron thing. Self-centered denying will lead us become like Pharisee. Because externally, we are looking for credits, right? Paradoxically, the first step of self-denial is self-acceptance. Why? Because faith means to see how God sees us in reality. The big word is a reality. Is anyone else in the whole universe who sees the world as it is besides God? Is there anyone who sees what God forgets to see? I see that reality, but you don't see it, God. You should see this. That's called pride, rebellion, treason, unbelief. But it starts with seeing God, God's view as ours and reality. And first passage is about creative self, and second passage is about the redemptive self. This is what God says to us in David's word, uh, Psalm 139, verse 13 to 14. For you formed my inward parts. You needed me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it. Very well. Here's a confession that I'll make. When I was 16, when I came to States, I didn't understand much of English. So watching TV was difficult. But one show that I loved, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And then he will say, remember, you are special. Because there is no one like you in this whole world. There's only one you. Remember that. And he sings that with the shoot thing and, you know, <laughs> I'll be back when the day is new, right? 
And I later find out he's a Presbyterian pastor, that his thought is scripture-based. It is right. Whether it's Iranian, whether it's a Cambodian, whether it's a Japanese or Chinese or Korean or, or Caucasian or Bolivian, whether you have an extroverted personality or introverted personality, whether you're tall or small, whether you're ugly, whether you're good-looking, one thing is not taken away from anybody, that each person is created in God's image and precious and loved and accepted by God. Yes, including Muslims, including people who worship Buddha, including secular humanists. In God's eyes, they're sacred. The sanctity of human life is because of that. Moreover, because God loved us, he gave his own son. Why? Because um, self-acceptance means also to see by faith God's sovereign plan and purpose of redeeming us from sin. Spiritual formation is, on, in other words, what is broken, God reforms us into Christ-likeness, his image of his son that is intentional uh, thing. And know that God has given us free will and he created us. But before the beginning of this universe, before we even existed, God's sovereign plan and purpose was already there. Not, not merely foreknowledge. God had a plan. So what's wrong with those churches that he, about the Facebook post, partial truth. And no wonder pragmatic churches and you know, even our church, we need to be careful, just preach the surface level of God's grace. You're a sinner. You need God. So go home. No. We need to think about God has a purpose. Right now, God is working with us, each one of us, to make us become more like Christ. The f- people who are broken inside need to be healed People who are sinful and wicked and self-centered, self-observed, need to continually learn to love. And people like me, eccentric person, strong-willed person, need to be broken and learn to surrender to God, to the Holy Spirit and control of the Holy Spirit, that we will bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Then joy will be full and people of, of the entire world will begin to see that we are followers of Christ. That's sovereign plan. That's not just a, oh, I'm broken. and Let's be real. Sitting in the pool of pain and brokenness and messiness. That's the postmodern generation's approach to, to cool, hip theology, which is a bad theology. Ephesians 4, chapter 1, verse 4 through 6. Apostle Paul Remind us, even as God chose us in him 
before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, sovereign purpose and plan. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In closing, I suggest two simple applications. Number one, we are to see the two realities of ourselves through God-centered view. Number one is, obviously, God, a divine image bearer who is loved and redeemed by God. Number two, that we are sinner, that we need to stand before holy God every day, and we need to realize we are helpless and hopeless without God's sovereign grace. Both are true. We are special and valuable in God's eyes. We are also sinful in need of redemption in God's eyes. Number two, we are to begin our self-denial by accepting the acceptance of God who defines the eternal reality for us in Christ. To accept how God sees us in grace and love means to believe, to have faith. It sounds very noble, but you cannot love me. I cannot even accept myself, God. You cannot forgive me. That sounds very noble. But that's unbelief. Not buying the reality of God presenting to us. Childlike faith is, thank you, Lord, that you would love me. That even if I am the only one in this entire world with your love and your grace and your attention to me, that you would have died. Isn't that incredible thought? We are not, you are not, and I am not included bunch of the crowd for the redemption. You got lucky by just being lumped into that. God has chosen you and called you. You ask, why? Just to let you know, because it's not your good looking. You're not smart enough. You haven't done enough credit to be move God's heart. Unconditional election of God. Why is it so necessary? So that we may begin the journey of self-denial by faith. To gain energy. To, to begin self-denial by the power of the Holy Spirit. Next Sunday, we're going to talk about what, it, what does it look like to deny ourselves on a daily basis by faith through the Holy Spirit. Would you bow your head with me as we close?
Father, thank you so much for your scripture that helps us to have a sound theology. And this morning, we're faced with two realities that you've given us, Lord, that each one of us are unique and special and deeply loved, that you have given your own son for our redemption. Thank you. We're also fully aware of the fact that, God, you are holy. You desired us to become blameless, to become the image, <coughs> like the image of your son, Jesus Christ. Here we are, just as we are, without any hiding, any covering up. All our brokenness is before you. As we approach the Lord's Supper and think of our sacrificial death and resurrection of Christ purely because of your grace and incredible love of Christ for us, would you open the eyes of our heart that we might gain spiritual energy to deny ourselves without blame shifting, without rationalization. We pray all these things in the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Amen. <coughs>